Well, good morning, Christ Central. My name is Danielle Nicholson, and today I'm reading from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, for the sake of the promise of life in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dearly loved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve with a clear conscience, as my ancestors did, when I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. Remembering your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I recall your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I am convinced is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. So don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Instead, share in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God. He has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. This has now been made evident through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. For this gospel, I was appointed a herald, apostle, and teacher, and that is why I suffer these things. But I am not ashamed, because I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to guard what has been entrusted to me until that day. Hold on to the pattern of sound teaching that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. You know that all those in the province of Asia have deserted me, including Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesephorus, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he diligently searched for me and found me. May the Lord grant that he obtained mercy from him on that day. You know very well how much he ministered at Ephesus. This is the word of God. Good morning again, Christ Church. Happy Lunar New Year and the year of the rabbit, as they say. Um, my family actually had a chance to go to a resident culture in uh, 28205 here, watch the lion dance yesterday. It was packed with all the residents in this, in this um, area coming out, and it was just an incredible sight. For me, as an Asian-American, seeing how um, our city is growing as well um, in light of the mission that God has given us. Um, so I do want to make sure we say Happy Lunar, U- Lunar New Year, not Chinese New Year, because there are other countries that actually celebrate the New Year as well. My name is Josh Kim. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Central Church, and we're glad you're with us this morning. And my joy of also coming to Christ Central besides the worship and all this stuff is to know that uh, there's solid teaching that comes from the pulpit. Um, in the season of Advent, in the new year, we had Reverend Omari Hill, Reverend John Baver, and even also our sister church's pastor, Reverend Mark Upton, who came and shared last week, who in his own journey would often talk about his recognition of the blind spot uh, as a white pastor in growing up in Mississippi, 
but what a timely reminder that God has walked with them in their journey and to be able to share about um, God's dream with us last week. Amen? I mean, what a, what a picture of gospel that was for us as we saw not only his message for the journey that he was on um, in coming and sharing as well. This week we start, rather I should say we are restarting our sermon series in 2 Timothy titled For the Church. For the Church. As we look at both 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, as Paul's writing his letter to his young apprentice Timothy, a pastor in Ephesus, in how to govern or serve his local body, and in how to persevere as a church of Christ. And I believe this message is not only for those in Ephesus at the time, but I believe God is also speaking to Christ Central Church in the season that you and I are called to be in. And just to give you a quick background as we begin 2 Timothy this morning, is this is, one of, this is actually, scholars say, this is the last letter Paul writes to the church. Apostle Paul, in time of 2 Timothy, is in the prison in Rome, awaiting his sentence, most likely death sentence at that. This man who has faithfully served God's church is now waiting for his death, martyrdom in the Roman jail, jail cell. So these are his final words to his beloved disciple Timothy and the church at Ephesus that he planted, and the church that he loves as well. These are the final words of an apostle who lived his life testifying to God in encouragement of the church. And if you think about that, it kind of adds more weight to this word, doesn't it? The question is, what would he say? How would he say to the church at Ephesus? And what does that mean for the church to stand strong? We concluded the first Timothy uh, last year, and we looked at what and why of the church, asking questions such as, what is the church? What is the purpose of the church? What does it mean for you to show love as a church of Christ? Why should you join the body of believers? And ultimately, 1 Timothy ended with the question, how can this church persevere until the end? How can the church of Christ persevere until the end. If you just turn one page over or swipe right on your phones in 1 Timothy 6, you find that Paul's words to Timothy in the letter reminds the church of Christ to persevere. How? By loving one another and by loving God. And that was the message Paul gave to Timothy and the church in 1 Timothy. You know God's promise never wavers. Do you believe that? Do you believe that gates of Hades will not stand against God's beloved, his church? Amen. Well, starting 2 Timothy that we see today, the same question is asked again. How can the church of Christ persevere? But this time, according to 2 Timothy, how will the church of Christ persevere? And the answer might not surprise you. Again, because of the word of God that never wavers, the promise of Christ that never wavers, Paul reminds Timothy again in the beginning of 2 Timothy that the answer to persevering of the church is the same as uh, 2 Timothy, same as 1 Timothy. And that answer is again, by loving God and by loving others. There's no other way about it. After all, again, if God's promises are never waver, then we don't expect the answer to that question to change either, Right? Considering all the challenges the Church of Christ faces back then and now today, the persecutions from outside, the martyrdoms of persecution in the countries and people groups hostile to Christianity, 
increasing polarizing the world where people want to kill one another for their own beliefs. Postmodernity undermining the absolute truth that we find in the scripture, the rise of the nuns, as they say, those who do not want to affiliate with any other religion, the pandemic that has caused a dramatic change of how you and I think of God and even coming to church at that, mixing of Christianity and politics, to name the few. There are challenges the Church of Christ faces today. But if that's not enough, there are also challenges the church faces from within, the sins from within, hypocrisy, misogyny, abuse, false teachings, How can the church of Christ survive, let alone persevere? How can, as Christ-centered church, stand together in what God is calling us to do so in this season of our lives today? Again, just as we saw at the end of first letter to Timothy, in the opening lines of 2 Timothy, the answer for all of us to persevere, to be able to stand together, is the same. It is to love God and to love others. And that's how the church of Christ not only in Ephesus, but Christ-centered church will persevere until we see Christ face to face. The first thing that we see in this letter is you persevere by loving God, by loving God. Paul begins this letter in today by reminding uh, Timothy that he is an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Then in verse 3, he says, I thank God for you. Timothy, the God I serve with a clear conscience, just as my ancestors did. And he continues this by saying he is called to serve as an apostle and urges Timothy, his apprentice, to also follow in Paul's footsteps. So what footsteps is Timothy called to follow? What are the ways that now subsequently is Paul telling us to follow? First, we see Paul is telling Timothy and us to proactively work out God's grace in your life. Verse 6 says, this is why I remind you to fan into flame the spiritual gift God gave you while I laid my hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Here, what Paul is saying is not harshly rebuking Timothy, but urging him. Urging him to fan into flame, meaning work out the gift that God has given you. The gift God has laid upon you, work that out. Be faithful to that. Be faithful to the gift that God has given you to serve God's people. Perhaps the gift that Paul is talking about to Timothy is his ability to preach and share the gospel. Because the second thing that Paul tells Timothy to do is to preach God's grace. Verse 8 says, So never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. And don't be ashamed of me either, even though I'm in prison for him with the strength God gives you. Be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. Again, Paul is basically simply telling Timothy, even despite the sufferings and persecutions that will come your way, Paul urges Timothy, in order to follow after me, preach, evangelize, share the goodness with those around you. And final thing Paul tells Timothy in following his footsteps is to persevere in God's grace. Verse 13 says, hold on to the pattern of the wholesome teaching you learned from me, a pattern shaped by the faith and love that you have in Christ Jesus our Lord. Through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, carefully guard the precious truth, truth that has been entrusted to you. So not only what Paul is telling Timothy is work out your gift, 
proactively work out your gift. Preach the gospel of grace and also persevere in God's grace. All three of them wrapped in one. Do you know how to summarize all that? All those three things that Paul is telling Timothy to do and subsequently telling us to do? You simply summarize that by saying, live as a follower of Christ, right? Be a Christian, right? Live like a Christian. This is not only a call for Timothy's life, but this is also called God places it upon all of us who claim to follow Christ. Because what does it mean for us to be Christian after all? It's not a ticket to go to heaven. It is not a ticket to a better life in the future. Rather, being Christ follower, to be a follower of Christ, to testify, as we saw the baptism today, to participate in who Christ is and to be disciple and to persevere at the end simply means love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind, all of your strength. Isn't it? Can I hear an amen to that? Amen. That's a call that God places upon your life. It's not a suggestion for you to say, well, great that you became baptized. Now, I want you to think about loving me. Right? That's not it. He's basically saying, you are baptized because you have loved me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that is the call that God is giving to every single follower of Christ. Simply being a Christ follower is being loved with our God each and every moment to learn to walk with Him and anticipate the coming of our Christ. If you're a Christ follower who does not look forward to being with Christ, how dare can you say you love Christ? But church, that's not all. When God says His grace is sufficient for us, He doesn't simply tell us to buckle down and love Him back no matter what, right? He doesn't simply leave us with that and to say, well, I did it, so love me. Love me, love me. He's not saying that, right? Look at what He says. When He says in verse 6, this is why I remind you to fan into flame the spiritual gift God gave you. In verse 7, the reason is, for God has not given us the spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. When Paul tells Timothy, so never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord, later on he says, with the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me. In verse 13, when he says, hold on to the pattern of wholesome teaching you learn from me, in verse 14 he follows up by saying, through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, carefully guard the precious truth that has been trusted to you. Do you notice that? Interplay with what God is calling us to do in loving him, in persevering, preaching the gospel, working out your faith. He says, for God has given you, for the strength that God gives you, through the power of the Holy Spirit that resides in you. What it means is not only does he call us to follow him, to love him, but what scripture reminds us that he empowers us to do so. He overwhelms us with his love. He provides strength each step of the way that you and I walk with him so you can, in fact, in response to the love you experience, that you can love him back. And as if Timothy would have missed this point, and Paul does this often, doesn't he? As if you would have missed that point, Church of Christ, to think that it's all about my works, how I'm going to love God, how I'm going to testify, how I'm going to build this church, how I'm going to give. Paul says, wait, 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 this is what I'm going to tell you about. He bursts out in his praise to our Savior by saying, for God saved us and called us to live a holy life. There's power to this call. He did this not because we deserve it, but because that was his plan from the, before the beginning of time to show us what? 
His grace through Christ Jesus our Lord, now that he made all of this plain to us by the appearing of Christ Jesus our Savior, he broke the power of death and illuminated the way of life and immortality through the good news. Church, did you hear that? That's the gospel right there. That's simply the gospel message that we often so forget. He broke the power of death. He broke the pattern of sin in your life. He gave us the call to live holy life. It is possible because he who called you will carry it on to completion. What Paul is saying is, Oh, Timothy, Timothy, it is God who will keep you, who makes it clear for you. He made the way. He broke the power of death. He will light the way. He makes it possible. Simply follow him. And he tells us, church today, oh, church, a church of Christ, he alone makes the way. He sees you. He sees his bride in tears. He sees the pain, the suffering, injustice. Oh, bride of Christ, just as Paul declares, God sees him in the jail cell in Rome waiting his death. Just as God sees Timothy, a young pastor, timid, leading a complex, multi-generational, multi-ethnic, intercultural church in Ephesus, this God of universe who created you and I sees you. He sees the bodies lying in the streets under the brutality of the ones that are supposed to protect. He sees the hurt, the brokenness of your hearts, the tears, the emotional pain, the suffering that you go through time and time again as we see the people colored suffering. He sees the Asian color scheme becoming a target in college campus, being stabbed just because you're simply Asian-American. He sees your empty pockets, dwindling saving accounts. He sees your tears the struggles of your job, the redundancy of the work. He sees your families, the brokenness, the tears that you shed for your aging parents, the heartbreaks you have for teenagers that continues to walk away. He sees the bombed-out buildings in eastern fronts of Europe, many persecuted people groups all around the world wondering how long, O oh Lord, how long, so in those situations, we often cry out with the fellow saints, how can you love him? How can we respond to love him? Church, this is why this is grace of God. The good news of the gospel is never separated from our circumstances. The good news of the gospel never says, well, good luck with that, but still do this. The gospel of grace enters into our lives, intertwines with our lives, and says, despite the hopelessness that you and I see and experience in our lives, he makes it clear to us time and time again, even if it's not a circumstantial deliverance, through his way, through his grace, he consistently, time and time again, draws out our confession of love. He doesn't simply tell us to love him because he is God. Unlike any other false idols and gods who simply demands it out of us, God himself makes it possible. You know why? You know how? We just celebrated, didn't we? He came to us. He lived and he died. He demonstrated his love for us by giving up his life. His beloved son bled and his beloved son died so you and I could love him back. He first 
loved us. Now that's grace. If you have experienced that kind of love of Christ, declare to the rest of the church, amen? Amen? And oh, I know that there are many here who testify to that. In fact, if you ask any one of us in the room that declares their love for Christ, we will collectively say, not because it was great of me to do this, but it is because I was first loved by the Lord. The question is, how are you loved? Well, if you think about Pastor Paul, you all make it think, it's those miraculous moments on the way to Damascus, right? Where Jesus appears to Paul. Absolutely, God spoke to him like that. It is those moments when God meets with him in the jail, where God speaks to him, gives him peace and comfort in the puddles of tears and blood that he's sitting in. Absolutely, I believe God definitely speaks love of God to Paul in those moments. But do you know what I also see in the scripture, in the pages of his testimony? We also see Ananias, who comes to Paul's defense against doubters. Aquila and Priscilla, planting partners who walks with him. The church of Christ who prays for him, who sets him apart, who sends him off in the missionary journeys. Even in this text, Onesiphorus in verse 16, who does not abandon Paul, as Paul experiences abandonment. Paul experiences love of God through God's people. Oh, how often he longs for fellowship of God's people in his letters. He says, I long to see you. I want to be with you. Not because you're so lovable, but because your love reminds me that I could persevere until the end. That's how he experienced God's love in his life to persevere. Church, even this week, I received an email about a story behind the story. As you know, in our Christ Central Church, on the second Sundays, we have our testimonies. And if you have any testimony to tell, please let us know. We would love to interview you and for you to tell about what God has done in your life. And this past a couple months ago, we had a, um, one person share about God's love in, in her life and how God worked through the difficult circumstances in her life. But this email I got this week told me the story behind the story. Because the email basically said, there's so many people, so many people in this church that demonstrated this love for me. And I counted, this person listed, 34 people in the church. But not only 34 individuals, because they're family units at that. And one line item that says, the entire congregation, you all, demonstrated that love. And in this person's words, you all have exemplified the true meaning of communion. True meaning of communion. Church, I believe the church is often used by God to show his love for us. Through the Word of God, yes, absolutely, through the preaching ministry, but also in the communion with fellow saints as we gather to sing, testify, and to suffer together, not perfect, but through our perfect Savior, He demonstrates that love for us. And our response can be, yes, Lord, I love you. Yes, Lord, I love you more than all these. Yes, Lord, I will persevere because loving you and living for you is worth it. There's so worth it than all the things I treasured once ago. In my valleys of shadows, in my tears, in my seasons of doubts and questions, I love you, I love you, I love you because you make the way. Church, I believe that's what Paul is telling Timothy. How do you pastor this church? How do you minister these people with all these different needs? 
How do you persevere despite all this persecution that comes? God already did it. And God will lead you out of it. In response to him, simply love the cross. Love who God is. In order to persevere, know that he's not done with you yet. And that leads us into the logical second way to stand together, doesn't it? Not only we persevere together as a church, not only by loving our God, but also persevering together as a church by loving others, loving others. I don't know about you, but when I think of Paul, you know, when I think, I close my eyes and I try to picture Paul, right? I think about this eloquent guy, you know, a theologian at that, a description who tells us this amazing theology of God. Just imagine, like, what I say becomes the Bible, right? Isn't that amazing? Like, let me tell you something. Oh, wait, this might be the Word of God, you know? <laughs> Write this down, and you're going to read about it. I'm thinking this guy has multiple PhDs, right? We like that, don't we? We like people with a lot of letters behind the names. They say, like, oh, wow, not one, not two, but not three, but multiple PhDs about God, right? The expert at that. I recall seeing a poll that described the most influential thinker of the world and even put Paul ahead of Christ, right? Because he wrote a lot. Uh, after all, he had the privilege to see the third heaven, whatever that is, right? Have you seen third heaven? No, you have not. I have not. So, wait, should we listen to him? Absolutely. I'm not downing any of those education all that, right? Um, and I think about that often when I think about Paul, divinely inspired writer. Um, let me just think about it. He's like the bestseller writer ever, right? If there's a book signing, you're all lining up, miles out the door, right? And we think, surely this great theologian is developing deeper truth in this jail, imagining, interacting with this great insight. This is final word. So what is he going to do? Think about what will you do as your final word? You're writing your magnum opus, right? Let me tell you about all the things I experienced, all the theological truth, all the third heavens. Let me try to mesh all this together and give you this magnum opus of theology of God. Right, let me tell you this great exposition that no one would ever get. Is that what we get here in 2 Timothy? Absolutely not, right? Well, we can't help it because Paul in his worship just comes out, right? Some of those things are timeless truth that this not ever be described other than great expository understanding of who God is. But what I want us to focus on is, look at his heart, his desire, his hope in this letter that is deeply evidenced, not by only Paul's knowledge, but Paul's love for God's people. We see that in verse 3 and verse 4, do we? I'm thinking Paul will write, hey, Timothy, I was meditating on this amazing truth the other day. I came up with theological description that describes this hope. Right? Right? Like, write it down. I don't know even how to pronounce it. But hey, Timothy, you know the problem you had about Trinity? Let me tell you, I, I got it, right? I got it inside out. This, let me tell you this amazing illustration. I was sitting in this jail cell, and let me tell you about that. Is that what he writes? No. Rather, he says, Timothy, I thank God for you. The God I serve with a clear conscience, just as my ancestors did. Night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. I long to see you again, for remember your tears as we parted, and I will be filled with joy when we are together again. Church, what translates more about your love and care for someone else than interceding and praying for someone? Not just once on the spot because you remember it, but constantly, night and day, remembering someone in your prayers 
furthermore longing to be with them and see them. I met with one of our youth parents recently, and they were sharing about the struggles of parenting. Let me just say, parents out there, there are many of you. Not just you, meaning stand together. Your struggle is real. There are many parents that are wrestling in what it means to parent, and we're there with you. You're not alone. We're struggling together. And she simply said, man, when you pray for your child, it's a whole new ballgame. You can't control your emotions or logic. I have never prayed more than I ever prayed in my lifetime. Your heart is overwhelmed for them. You know what Paul calls Timothy in verse 2? I'm writing to you, Timothy, my dear son. Yes, he could have called him, hey, fellow pastor. Hey, church planter. Hey, apprentice. Hey, someone that needs to do my job. Or hey, someone that needs to build this church. Hey, Timothy, a follower of God, he simply says, my dear son. You could tell he loves Timothy with his heart. Throughout the letter, you can't help but to experience the love he has for Timothy, oozing out the reason why he tells Timothy to persevere because of the love of Christ, love for Timothy. And Timothy seems so lovable, doesn't he? Verse 3 says, Timothy, I thank God for you, right? God, I serve with my clear conscience, just as my ancestors did. Night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. I long to see you, for I remember you as tears as you departed. And I will be filled with joy when we are together again. I remember your genuine faith. For you share in faith that was filled with your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know the same faith continues uh, strong in you. Sorry, I think I lost my spot here real quick. Um, I remember Eunice and I remember grandmother Lois. And I know the same faith continues strong in you. You see? In some sense, Timothy, you get it. He's a very lovable guy, right? <laughs> you know? He cries when he laughs. Like, oh, man, that breaks my heart, too. Like, I love this guy. Like, he's the guy that's, like, following his footsteps. He loves them. But that's not all he says here. Not only is Paul deeply invested in Timothy and loves Timothy, but Paul has heart for the church and loves people in the church, even with those who have broken his heart. Verse 15 it says, as you know, everyone from the previous province of Asia has deserted me, even um, Phyzelus and Hamaginus um, has deserted me. And we don't know exactly what happened to these two people, but Paul assumes Timothy and those in Ephesus know them. We don't know exactly what happened, but we know that Paul shares the gospel in Asia Minor before any other apostles. He has risked his life and loved on the people God called him to do so, but people deserted him. In the most dire moments of trial and being thrown into jail, Paul is left alone. And now, man, if I'm Paul, I'm thinking I'm cynical, right? Thinking, how dare you? Okay, I would love Timothy, but how dare you? After all that I've done, I sacrificed so much for you. I risked my life for you. You turn away from me like this? This is what you call God's church? How can you hurt me? You're supposed to be the church that protects and loves. Church, it's so easy to love others when people are like Timothy, when they love you back, when they hear you, when they see you and they walk with you. But it is so hard when you try to love someone, they walk away from you, 
that talk behind your back, who take you for granted. And dare I even say, as Scripture says, that Christ calls us to love our enemies at that. And quite often, as many of us experience, even the church of Christ. So why does Paul write this and reminds Timothy of this action that was done to him by these two people? Well, he reminds Timothy to know that expect this in your life and expect this in ministry. This is not unnatural to happen. As much as you and I get surprised when the people that are supposed to love you hurt you, Paul is writing Timothy to remind them this happens. Expect it. As one pastor put it this way, because when the Apostle Paul had had experience of being abandoned by those very converts that he had led to the Lord in Asia, you know what? All he was experiencing is what Jesus experienced from his own, his own beloved disciples. Because Matthew tells us it is not only Judas that betrayed Christ, and it was not only Peter who denied Christ, but that all the disciples fled from him in his hour of need. So what Paul is reminding Timothy is when you're disappointed by even those in the church, so when you see those who are supposed to model a love of Christ for you, fail you. And there I say, even when Christ's central church disappoints you, and the leadership and the leaders and the people that sit next to you fail you, and we will, and I will as your pastor. What Paul reminds Timothy, it reminds us, is don't ever give up. Don't ever give up in loving others. You're not only called to love others who are lovable, You're called to love others because God calls you to love others. And to know our Lord Jesus Christ in his death and resurrection means to know his broken heart. To know his heart that goes to those who may betray him. To know him in his heart is to be his disciple. So how does that help you, O church, to persevere? That sounds more daunting more difficult to persevere. Rather, I would say, I don't rather want to give up than persevere in it. But church, again, this is where the grace of God comes in. The grace of God that reminds us. When we say we want to follow Christ, you and I are saying, I want the cross on my back. More importantly, you're saying, I want to love Christ and walk the path he walked. So basically what that means is you learn to walk with him with the cross on your back. As you walk this difficult path that God has called you to walk on, even loving your enemies, even those who may hurt you, even the church of Christ that may disappoint you, the grace of God is the fact that this is the path your Savior has walked. He's not calling you to make a brand new way, be a hero in your own right. What he's saying is, I know this. I felt this. I have experienced this. But I know why it's worth it. Therefore, I died on the cross for this. And as you do that, you know what you realize? I'm the one. I'm actually the one that hurts others. I'm the one. It's not them but I'm the one that betrayed our Savior. I'm the one that puts the cross on the back burner. 
I'm the one that crucifies Christ and says, crucify, crucify, crucify. Do you know how I know this? Do you sin? I do. Do you? We all do. And you know what sin declares? I hate you, God. Sin basically means, I hate you, God. Get away from me, God. That's a betrayal of God's love for us. So when God says, love others as I have loved you, he reminds us he loves us despite our betrayal and our failure. And he will restore us so we can love him. And if you know that, how can you not help but to love those around you? If you know you've been forgiven so much, how can you not help but to forgive those who have hurt you? If you know that grace is sufficient for you to come to the table of Christ in reconciliation, to partake in Lord's Supper, how can you not, in response to that grace, reconcile with your brother and sister in Christ and to say, I forgive you. And you know what? When Jesus tells these very disciples who betrayed him, who fled him in the hour of need, he tells them in John 13, 34 through 35, a new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you also must love one another. And these are the disciples. Just mind you guys, this is right before they flee from him, right? And he tells them, hey, but let me tell you this. As you will betray me, hurt me. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you, those who betray me, will love one another. This is God's plan, God's way. Even through the broken bride called church, he will still testify about him. Even through your broken efforts, even the broken efforts by the church, I invite you, by God's grace, to keep leaning in Learn to love, learn to be forgiven, learn to repent, learn to be disappointed, but also to see Christ sanctifying his bride, changing his bride, so one day we could see our Savior face to face as you persevere in this. Church, speaking of youth ministry, I was at one time wide-eyed youth pastor, brand new out of seminary. Um, I remember when I first arrived to my seminary, my mentor at the time who brought me to the seminary told me, you should come to my church. I said, what do you mean I should come to your church? Just come and check us out. I went to his church, and he said, take over my youth ministry. I'm planting a church. Man, this pastor was so beloved. He was an amazing preacher. Kids absolutely adored him and loved him. They fell all over the place for this guy. I remember the first sermon I preached, preaching to this Congregation, right? To these youth kids. I was so nervous and I was shaking so much. My paper was shaking as I was speaking. The most memorable comment a youth student told me afterwards was not, wow, that was a great exposition of the scripture. He said, What's wrong with you? Why are you shaking so much? I couldn't <laughs> concentrate because you're shaking so much. Oh, man, that was not the first time I did that. So many mistakes. So many mistakes. I had a gifting in youth ministry. Do you know that? I inherited a youth ministry of 20 people and grew it to five. <laughs> wow, what amazing. At one point, I had two. And I thought, wow, is this going to happen? Eldest son and pastor son, right? I'm like, all right. 
I guess I'm gifted in ministry. Uh, man, how I was I rebuked. I rebuked when I should have loved. Oftentimes I neglected when I should have been attentive. I taught all kinds of craziness that came to my mind, thinking this is it. Let me tell you the theological background of Genesis to a bunch of kids. I lost many battles to the color of carpet because it was more interesting than my sermon. Um, I taught crazy theology like purity culture at the time, saying I prefer you all to wear two-piece, T-shirt and shorts. I said all kinds of crazy stuff. I get chills even today as I thought about all the stuff that I said, all the stuff that I taught. I want to burn my sermon notes, right? And to say, Lord, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. And the crazy thing is we get older. Not only me, but our kids get older too. And it's crazy because I'm reconnecting with my youth students now, and they're adults now, you know? Some are getting married even, right? Remember when this whole purity culture and whole Mars Hill podcast came out and some of my struggles in my own home church about the abuse, sexual abuse, the emotional abuse, spiritual abuse came out, and how misogynistic, oppressing all that was, I realized there was so much remnants of that in my life as well, especially when I was ministering among our youth kids. I apologized to them, saying, I'm so sorry. I wish I knew better. I made so many mistakes. I am so sorry. Remember this one youth student, all grown up now, working, simply told me that wasn't cool back then. I was so confused by what you were trying to do. It really hurt us. And it really hurt me, too, to hear that. But I was also blown away by what she asked next. So thank you, PJ. They used to call me that. What church should I go to next? And I was thinking, what? Why would you ask me? Of all people, I have hurt you so much through bad teaching, through bad counsel, and the bad theology. And so many times, why would you still ask me and she simply said, well, you tried. <laughs> it wasn't that great, but you tried. And you know, church, I realized at that moment, I thought I was trying to love on them. But as a young, wide-eyed youth pastor, I was loved by them. I was learned to be forgiven by them. I learned that even through my broken ministry, that God can still do miracles. Doesn't mean that they're walking faithfully with the Lord all the days of their lives. But despite my imperfect efforts, I'm loved by them. And God loves them. And I think this is why we do not give up. Church of Christ will hurt you. Christ-central church will hurt you. I, as your pastor, will be hurt by you and I also hurt you. But throughout this week, as I was praying about this, God was keep telling me again and again, don't give up. Don't give up, because God does not give up on his bride, his church. And together, as we stand loving God and loving others, that's how we will persevere as Church of Christ. So will you join us? Open up a little. Share. Learn to pray one another with one another. Go to those red chairs. His love is so overwhelming, you can't help but to testify 
to the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Church, will you pray with me as we pray? Sorry, I went a little longer than I normally do. Um, but let's pray, will you? As we invite our children back, our youth back to worship, let's pray. Um, saying, God, help me to persevere by loving God and others. Help me not to give up. Jesus, help me. Let's pray. Father, we pray for that in our broken efforts, in our broken hearts, in the ways we were hurt by others, in the ways that we have hurt others. Lord, we seek forgiveness in all those things. But Lord, we also come begging and asking that you will continue to work through us. Teach us what it means to love you back as you show and demonstrate the love of Christ in my life, in our life, in this church's life, even in our broken puddles of tears. Teach us, Lord, that you do not give up on us. You who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion. Father, thank you for the cross. Thank you that we could partake in this journey. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.